Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blurb, where the back of a book meets a discerning look. Each week, best-selling author Sally Shields and publishing guru Dr. Kent listen to pitches from five authors vying for Book of the Week honors. Now live, on the air, with vigor and style, are Dr. Kent and Sally, the Bibliophiles. Well, welcome to Blurb today. It's Wednesday again. How are you doing, Sally? Oh. How are you doing, Sally? Can you hear me now? I can. I think I <laughs> muted you. Quite all right. It's very nice to hear your voice this week. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. And, and uh, you know, it's it's been beautiful weather this week here in New York, and that always makes people feel friendly. <laughs> now, are you, are you kidding? Or are you... Okay, yes, it has been nice, but what about last night? In the Bronx, there was a whole hailstorm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it was crazy because I, I drove my daughter to gymnastics this morning, and there were, like, huge snow piles. And it was July. It was the weirdest thing. I actually took pictures of it. Very bizarre. But you're right. It was beautiful up until last night. Well, and who doesn't like a good hailstorm? <laughs> and there were some hills the size of golf balls, I heard. But most of them that, that I saw were just the size of marbles. But still, so what do you very call crazy. them? Hail chunks? Hailstones? I think, think hailstones. Hailstones. Very weird. Yeah, that's very, yeah, I've never thought about that. Hail, I like hail chunks. <laughs> yeah, quite strange. Well, it's, it's, it's fun to be back on Blurb uh, with you today, and, and it's uh, going to be your favorite day, I know, because we're going to talk about some fiction today. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. And, you know, also, because we had two winners last week, we get to talk to two authors live, and uh, we, we're going to have one at the beginning of the show and one at the end, and I think... That, that Kelly Ruba is actually waiting for us uh, to talk to us. I'm really excited to talk to her. Well, we should, we should uh, preview that and say we're a little indecisive. Uh, some weeks we just can't possibly choose a winner, and last week was one of those weeks. Uh, but they're very different blurbs that won last week. Yeah, I mean, they were absolutely excellent, in both of them. They were just so, so impressive, and we just couldn't decide, and they were, they were fantastic. So, um, and also, because it's juvenile, uh, juvenile Arthritis Month, July is Juvenile Arthritis Month, and we'll let Kelly talk about that, but it seemed very apropos that, um, that we play her blurb and talk about her book this month. And give absolutely. A so let's, let's welcome her on the air. This is Kelly Ruba. Are you on the air with us, Kelly? Do we have you on there, Kelly? I am here. Can you hear me? Yes. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for your great efforts in creating the blurb and for being here tonight with us and bringing, shedding some light upon this this uh, particular issue that so little, so few people might know about, but but really it needs to be so much more wider known. And you're doing such a wonderful job in bringing this to light. Well, thank you, and I know I, I go out almost every week and I meet someone who's never heard of uh, the fact that children can get juvenile arthritis, so I know I have a lot of work to be done, but I appreciate your help in uh, getting the word out. Now, Kelly, how old were you when you first got arthritis? I was two, actually, and that was back in 1982, and my parents were really surprised, uh, you know, when I was diagnosed. They had no idea that you could get it so young. My goodness, that must have been heartbreaking for them and, and for you as well. Now, how did are you still in pain from, from this arthritis, or have you found something that can alleviate the pain, and how are you dealing with it? 
Um, I am in a lot of pain most days. Um, around Christmas time, one of the biologic drugs uh, stopped working for me, and, and they can be great for some people, and other people don't respond. And um, what we're finding out now is uh, some people only respond for so long, and that's what happens in my case. So around Christmas, it stopped working for me, um, and I've been in a lot of pain since then and lost more of the mobility um, of the limited amount that I had already. So I will be starting a new injection um, sometime within the next few weeks, and they're hoping that would get me back to um, at least where I was. Now, is there certain limbs or certain parts of your body that, that hurt more than others, or is it pretty much everywhere? I'm just I'm so naive about it, and I just I don't mean to sound that way, but I, I'm honestly just completely unaware of, of how this works. Um, in my case, it affects most every <laughs> joint or area of my body. Um, there are kids who maybe just have one or two joints affected, and um, some have multiple joints. It, it sort of varies case by case, but for me, it really hit everywhere and um, kind of took a toll on my body. So. Do they know what causes this? And what what um, brings this on? They they have some ideas, but no exact causes known yet. But they think it's triggered in part by the environment. Um, genetics play a part. Um, you know, it might even be some kind of a virus that that uh, triggers it. So it's not really well known yet what's going on, but they're working on it, and um, you know, hopefully, research will bring that to light. And tell us, in general, you know, I, I, I know so little about arthritis, and yet I've heard about it many times. My father has a pretty terrible arthritis uh, in certain limbs and areas. What, what does it mean? It's inflammation of the joints. So um, a lot of times it involves uh, swelling of the area. The area might be hot or, you know, even red-looking. Um, for, for children, symptoms can even involve um, rashes and uh, fevers and inflammation of the eye in some cases. So um, symptoms do vary based on the um, diagnosis and the person, but, uh, you know, it, it really limits a person's movements and restricts their joints. A lot of times we even get contractures. Like in my case, the joint won't bend at all. So it's now, a little... when you were a child, did you, did you get to go to regular school? or how... Children I did. Been... I did. Um, I, I did go to um, public school, and um, I started using a wheelchair, I guess, probably towards the end of elementary school, and I also used a walker, um, which I still use, both of those things. And, um, you know, it was it was hard in a way because I think um, peers, I, ha I had, a you know, some wonderful friends, but I think other classmates maybe shied away from me a little bit because they didn't know what it meant to have arthritis or how to include me is probably the better way to say it. So... Yeah. It's a little hard in that respect. I'm sure. No, wow. I'm just. I'm really, really. Uh, my heart goes out to you and all the children that are suffering with this. It just sounds like, you know, to have to go through 
life, which is hard enough emotionally and just with everything going on, to also have to constantly deal with the physical pain at such a young age. I just, I, I'm just feeling so emotional about it, and I just um, really, really wish you the best. And I'm really, really yeah. uh, praying that they'll come up with some kind of a solution and a cure for this soon. So, well, I'm, you know, I'm working hard to to raise awareness. So hopefully someday other children don't have to go through what I went through, and. Um, you know, I do volunteer with the Arthritis Foundation and the Arthritis National Research Foundation, and uh, ANRF actually started the Kelly Award for Juvenile Arthritis Research, so any money donated to that will go towards um, finding better treatments or hopefully a cure, so I'm really excited about that, and, uh, you know, that, that keeps me going, and I was really bitter for a long time, but, you know, I did a 180, and college and changed my attitude and I've found that, you know, advocating and helping to spread awareness is, is the more positive uh, way to be and, uh, you know, I feel better if I can make a difference for someone else. That's so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us. And I just had one more, I hope it's not such a silly question, but um, like are there periods of the day where you are pain-free? Like does it kind of go in waves? Are there like times, like extended period of times where you're not feeling any pain or is it completely constant all the time? How does um, this work? Yes, it, it definitely varies and that's one thing that I think um, is hard for people to understand, especially if the, the arthritis isn't as apparent as it is, as it is in my case. Um, you know, with kids who have it, like, some hours of the day they're okay, and then maybe the next they're in a lot of pain, and sometimes teachers or even their parents don't understand that the, the disease fluctuates. And then sometimes you have flares where it's in really, um, you're in really bad pain for weeks on end. So it just it varies. It's weird like that. Oh, and gosh. and there's one thing um you know I know uh because my um my father's in a, a wheelchair um, I I know that it's people look at you a lot differently uh when you are uh, have some sort of disability and that's mm -hmm. one thing that doesn't come up much in this country um you know there's there's many um inequalities uh um you know of of gender or uh, of of sexuality or of race uh, but disability is another one, and, and um, people look at uh, people with disabilities differently. Um, have you seen that in your work with uh, uh, all of these great organizations? Mm -hmm. Yes, I've, I've noticed that since I was young. I mean, I've had teachers who have uh, not allowed me to participate in clubs and certain activities um, mm. just because of my disability. I've uh, not been given certain jobs uh, after college because people couldn't get past the wheelchair. And then again, um, you know, I, or, or even with friends, I mean, or peers, I should say, you know, some people aren't willing to be friends with you just because you have a disability. But on the other hand, I've met some really wonderful people who are accepting of it, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for them. Well, it's been such an honor chatting with you, and congratulations on everything you're doing. It's not just uh, that you've won Blur Book of the Week, uh, but uh, you've got all sorts of interviews happening, and uh, you've got this burgeoning career. Tell us what you're up to. Well, I work full-time for EAD and Associates, and they are an emergency management consultancy, and we focus predominantly on special needs populations, so it's right up my alley. 
and I still do freelance writing on the side. Um, and I, I'm actually starting to co-host a show called Breaking Barriers in New Jersey that's about people with disabilities who are doing remarkable things. So hopefully that will show the public that we can be capable and, and talented. Wow, that's fantastic. Is, is that a TV or a radio show? It's TV, actually, and um, it's just New Jersey-based for now, but they do have interest in other parts of the country. So we're hoping it catches on, and we're hoping it shows people that, um, you know, we, we can do wonderful things. That is just wonderful. Congratulations on everything, and thank, thank you so much for being here. And we can check Kelly Ruba out um, on her Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash Kelly Ruba, R-O-U-B-A, or uh, your your uh, website, right, kellyruba.com? Uh, yep, it's kellyruba.blogspot.com, and uh, you'll be excited to know we're giving away a Nintendo Wii and a uh, EA Sports Active game package. So kind of an exciting time on the blog there. Very cool. Yeah, I'll say. All in honor of Juvenile Arthritis Month, so. Well, Juvenile Arthritis Awareness Month um, is this month, and uh, it's been such an honor chatting with Kelly Ruba, who won the Blurb Book of the Week uh, last week. Well, thank you so much for having me and selecting me. It it just uh, made me so happy. I appreciate it. We look forward to staying in touch with you, and please let us know if there's anything that we can do on our end to help spread the word, and uh, we're here for you. So um, congratulations. I'm so happy to know you. Thank you, and I'm so glad to have met you both as well. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And uh, so now we're into the part of the show where we're going to listen to some brand new blurbs. Uh, This is always pretty exciting. Now, uh, they have a really hard task this week because, of course, it's uh, the fiction show today, and they have to convince Sally here that that their fiction blurbs are great. Yeah, Ken, Dr. Kent is making fun of me a little bit because um, I barely read fiction. I think that the last uh, 20 years or so, my, my bookshelf has about, I don't know, 99.9% nonfiction, nonfiction books in there. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, and in the industry itself, uh, nonfiction is the dominant category. Uh, it's, it's the bestseller. And the funny thing is that most books written are fiction. Interesting, very interesting. I did not know that. Yep, and it's uh, if you go to a Borders uh, and you see which books are out front, it's biographies and self-help books, and then maybe a couple fiction books, but they're usually the really big bestseller books. Very interesting. Indeed. So let's 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 listen to um, a couple of these. Uh, who do you want to listen to first? There's some fun names on here. Oh, there are indeed. Well, gosh, you know, why don't we try Daria? I know that she uh, she's going to try to be here and try to listen in on the show. I can't seem to get in the chat room tonight, but would love to love to hear her blurb. All right, well here we go. Daria and Di Giovanni, uh, fiction category blurb, like all of them on the show today. Here we go. Blog Talk Radio. My name is Daria. Thanks for stopping by. Before I tell you about my debut novel, Water Signs: A Story of Love and Renewal. Let me just take a second to paint a picture. Let's face it, the world we live in today is just plain scary. In addition to important national issues like the economy and terrorism, the trials and tribulations of everyday life can just tear us down. As an author, 
I believe good fiction should not only instruct, it should also provide a sort of mini-vacation, a welcome escape from reality. That was one of my goals when writing my book, an uplifting story of first love, second chances, faith, and family that allows readers to take a break from life's tragedies and difficulties and just feel good about being alive again. A loosely autobiographical tale, Water Signs chronicles the 16-year personal and spiritual growth journey of Madeline Rose, a sweet, sheltered 25-year-old woman who grew up in a loving home in suburban Philadelphia. She spends her summers with her family at the Jersey Shore, where in 1992, she unexpectedly meets Ken Lockhart in a Summers Point nightclub. A U.S. Navy veteran, ambitious, affable Ken is seeking a new direction in his life, one that differs greatly from the blueprint laid out for him by his father, who takes serious offense at his son's lofty goals, putting a tremendous amount of strain on their relationship. But Ken is determined to rise above his humble, shore-town roots and forge a new path for himself in spite of the opposition. He also plans to marry his one true love, just as soon as he can find her. And when Ken meets Maddie, he believes he's discovered his destiny. That is, until the formidable hurdles of life conspire to break them up. But is that the end for the star-crossed couple? Or is there a divine plan at work for them? As readers join Ken and Madeline on their 16-year odyssey, they discover that each of these characters is not simply a love interest for the other, but a real catalyst for positive change. By the time they reconnect and fall in love all over again, each one has already experienced a renewal through their own unique triumphs over difficulties, including personal insecurities, panic and anxiety disorder, and unhealthy relationships. In the end, they realize that God's timing is always perfect. Others who've read Water Signs agree that it is well worth the time to peruse its 435 pages. Marie D. from Pennsylvania says, In this magical story, Daria touches the hearts of everyone who believes in second chances and the unbreakable bonds of love, faith, and family. Annie Kay, another reader from Pennsylvania, raves, Water Signs is a beautiful and inspiring tale of love and personal growth. G. Giovanni weaves a tapestry of unforgettable characters and events that draws the reader into a captivating world where faith and forgiveness triumph over tragedy and real love always prevails. And a review by TemeritiMagazine.com states in part, Di Giovanni tells a compelling story that puts raw emotion, honesty, intimacy, and love on a plate to share with the world at the risk of their enjoyment or scorn. Simply, she should be applauded for her tale. Put Di Giovanni in a proverbial basketball court with the likes of established writers Maeve Benchy, Kristen Hanna, and Jody Picoult, and she could hold her own. If you would like to discover water signs for yourself, I invite you to visit my website at watersignsnovel.com. I think after previewing the five chapters available there, you'll definitely want to read more. I'm Daria Giovanni. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you soon. What do you think, Sally? Well, I have to say, I think that somebody could convince me to read fiction. It absolutely sounded uh, very intriguing to me. I absolutely loved the premise of the book. I absolutely, you know, the four criteria that that, that Dr. Kent and I laid out to, to judge these blurbs, bling, clarity, information, and delivery, I think Daria did a fan 
fantastic job. I mean, it sounded like it had a lot of bling to it. It was clear. I know what the book is about. It was a great deal of information, and she delivered a punch. I, I really, really think this is going to be a great book, and it sounds like a fantastic story. Uplifting, you know, feel good about being alive again, a 16-year personal spiritual growth journey. I really, really enjoyed the premise of it. Tell me what you thought. Well, I think, um, you know, usually the blurbs we get are very short and concise, and one of the great things she did was uh, she used her whole time. Yeah, I like that too, absolutely. And that's something we don't often um, uh, get here. Uh, And, uh, you know, in one way it takes a lot of uh, um, sort of gumption to take up your full time, and and she did it in a good way. She she sort of... uh, uh, hit all of the bases on her book, and uh, it was exciting, and um, I think people are are, are going to be excited to read the book. Now, the one thing that sounds a little scary about it is she said a 435-page book. I think she meant it as a good thing, but that would kind of scare me off. Well, it kind of depends on the trim size, doesn't it? What if it's a little 3x5, uh, then, then it wouldn't be such a long book, eh? huh? That's a good point. <laughs> Maybe she should have said how many words were in it. Uh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing that I liked about it was that, um, you know, she, she wasn't shy in, in reading uh, some of the quotes that some of her fans have put forth for her, and that's great. Um, right. By the way, I have to uh, <laughs> just let you know that my plan to get my kids in bed by nine failed this week. It's been a 14-week run. And absolutely fantastic, but i got to just go and put on a Spongebob for my son, who's three. Well, that but, sounds um, pretty fun. And while you put Spongebob on, I'm going to put a, uh, another blurb on the air. This is from uh, Hilary Bell, and this is also in the fiction category. Here we go. I'm Hilary Bell, and Rogue's Home is the most recent, the second of my Night in Rogue books, which are a lighthearted young adult fantasy series. I think the best thing about the Night and Rogue books are the main characters. The first book in the series is The Last Knight, and the reason Michael is the last knight isn't because all the other knights have died in some cataclysmic battle. I had a big fight with my editor about that title. It's because being a knight errant in this world is a profession that's about 200 years out of date. It's the equivalent to meeting someone at a cocktail party and asking what they do for a living, and they tell you, in all seriousness, I'm a gunslinger, ma'am. When Michael tells people he's a knight errant in search of adventure and good deeds, which is his standard introduction, people either laugh in his face or back away slowly, murmuring, No problem. That's cool, man. The rogue in the series is Fisk, a cynical con man who Michael has more or less blackmailed into becoming his squire. The chapters alternate between Fisk's and Michael's viewpoints, and it makes the books a blast to write because Michael sees the world and everyone in it through the rosiest of rose-colored glasses, and Fisk has this wry, sarcastic voice, Here, this is the first paragraph of Last Night, which is Fisk's voice, and it's also my personal best beginning for any novel I've ever written. To say it was a dark and stormy night would be a gross understatement. It was colder than a witch's kiss, wetter than a spring swamp, and blacker than a tax collector's heart. A sane man would have been curled up in front of a fire with a cup of mulled wine and a good book, ah, a willing wench. But not me. I was out in it. I'm squire to a hero. Anyway, the reason they're out in that dark and stormy night is that Michael is rescuing a damsel from a tower. But then it turns out that his distressed damsel was actually an accused murderess awaiting trial, so now they have to find her and bring her back. The second book, Rogue's Home, gets them embroiled with Fisk's family, who threw him out years ago. 
His brother-in-law is a judge, which is pretty inconvenient when you're a con man, hence the throwing out part. But when the judge is framed, his sisters figure they need help. As his sister Judith says, I thought we needed criminals. Isn't that why we sent for Fisk? And they end up being chased by lynch mobs and framed for arson and thrown out of town again. I suppose I'm blurbing two books here, which is probably against the rules, but they go together. As a reader, I'm one of those people who always read the series in order. So as an author, I'm certainly not going to tell you to do otherwise. The third book, Player's Roost, which is coming out next January, is the one where Michael falls in love with a girl who is in love with someone else. And there are smugglers and murderers and wreckers and, well, complications ensue. If you're looking for serious epic fantasy, these aren't the right books for you. But if you're looking for fun, a fun, exciting read, you should give them a try. Wow, that was a really exciting blurb. Um, and uh, it's funny that she talked to us just a little bit in the middle of it. Uh, she said, well, uh, I might be breaking the rules by talking about two books. Do you think that's breaking the rules, Sally? <laughs> well, I, I, do, I do in my introductory um, email say that we do tend to try to stick to one book per blurb. Um, but, but and well, the one thing that she referred to, she said, well, it might be against the rules, but uh, if I'm a reader, I like to have a to know that there's a whole series of books. Well, I think in that case, it was absolutely fine. Tell yeah. me about it. Tell, tell me about it. <laughs> well, for me, you know, I I think what one thing she did very well is that um, she she got us excited about the book, and then after getting us excited, she said, well. Uh, here's the most uh, incredible opening I've ever written for a book, and then she read us the very beginning of her book. And I thought that was, you know, clever, um, that we got a little bit of her voice from the book itself, and, and um, that is something that um, readers are going to want to hear when they're uh, thinking about a fiction book. Indeed. And, um, you know, I, I think there's also a, a big value to uh, the sound uh, of your voice when you're delivering a blurb. And she was very steady, um, has a really um, nice cadence in her voice. It's not that you have to sound like a radio personality or anything like that, uh, but it's about um, delivering your message uh, with some confidence, and she did that uh, very well. Oh, absolutely! I felt that she had she had excellent excellent delivery. Uh, although I, I uh, unfortunately I was a little bit distracted because of my my son, um, I was still able to uh, check out the blurb, and I, I felt that her delivery was absolutely f almost flawless, and I appreciated that quite a bit. Well, I think by the end of the show, Sally's going to start reading fiction. What do you think? <laughs> you know, I might just do it. It sounds, you know, I I loved what uh, what, what Darius said about uh, you know. <laughs> Having having a little bit of a, a welcome escape, you know. I never really thought of it. In other words, I whenever I read a book, I think, well, I'm wasting my time unless I'm not learning something. But you know, it's not always about learning something necessarily. Sometimes you may just want to get away from it all. And I haven't done that in quite a long time. I have not read a fiction book in, in a long time. And you know, this just might be the perfect catalyst for me to do that. So I think that I'm going to be, um, you know, this is changing my mind tonight. So I'm really glad we're doing this show. All right, well, let's listen to another one and see if we keep on this roll. Uh, this is a blurb, uh, another fiction blurb by Jerry Pollock. Here we go. Blog Talk Radio. Have you ever wondered why God has not answered your prayers? Have you been a good person? Have you done for others? Perhaps in your eyes you have made good moral decisions in choosing good over bad. 
But what if God were the scorekeeper? How would he rate you according to divine and not human morality? God is all-knowing, and he can see into your heart and into the crevices of your mind. So you cannot hide your feelings and thoughts from him. The Messiah interviews authored by biophysicist and microbiologist Jerry Pollack empowers readers to improve their moral character in this life in order for God to judge them worthy to be admitted into a future second garden of Eden, the Messianic Age at the end of days. The Messiah Interviews is a not-so-fictional novel about God and God holding interviews to find his Messiah. The main character, Yosef, in Pollock's novel, undergoes a timeline therapy and finds himself in the third temple in heaven. There in heaven, Yosef faces off with angels and biblical sages who can read his mind. As the angel Gabriel, Methuselah, Hanach, Seth, King David, Moses, Jacob, and Abraham, and the prophet Isaiah, all biblical characters from the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, probe his heart for truth, Yosef is forced to bear his soul and expose his own hidden demons. Readers will find themselves alongside Yosef, pondering what answers they would have given to the biblical sages as truth and sincerity of the heart is sought. Reviewers highly recommend and agree that Pollock's Messiah Interviews is a fascinating journey that challenges the soul to connect to a higher purpose. It is richly written and admirably candid and a different sort of book on the afterlife. Learn more about the book, his nonprofit organization, and the author on Pollock's website and blog, thirdtempleinfo.com. Third is spelled out. Well, that's a very interesting uh, fiction novel that he's talking about um, called The Messiah Interviews. And uh, it makes me think uh, about there's a huge segment of the fiction industry devoted to Christian fiction, uh, whether that um, super best-selling Left Behind uh, or some of the other books that um, are written by evangelicals um, and kind of support their um, beliefs. Indeed. You know, I, I really liked it because it, the blurb actually started off sounding like a nonfiction novel to me. And he got me right at the, he got me a hello. Why, why has God not answered my prayers? Have I been a good person? Have I done well for others? Have I been choosing good over bad? What if God were the scorekeeper? It sounded almost like Conversations with God, one of my favorite series. And um, so it really drew me in right from the start. Yeah, and it's uh, you know it's fascinating, especially um, once he draws you in. He says, "Well, um, uh, the book is written by um, this scientist, you know, someone who's really studied this and that." Um, uh, one thing that I, I don't necessarily like um, is that he spoke in the third person. What do you think? Yeah, well, um, not you know, it didn't bother me too much. Um, give me an example. Well, I mean, you know, he's. For me, it's kind of funny, like, uh, if I did an interview and said the whole time, or if you did an interview and said, well, you know, Sally Shields is the, uh, is the uh, uh, what's your oh. title again? The mother-in-law <laughs> oh, <yeah>. manager? <laughs> the, in, the in-law expert. Yeah, and if you said, well, Shields is an, the in-law expert, <laughs> and Shields has a book, and, I mean, what do you think? 
yeah, yeah, no, no, I totally exactly know what you mean. Yeah, that's a little bit, that's a little bit, um, I don't know, off-putting a little bit perhaps since he's the one doing the blurb. You're right, you want to be genuine. And, um, you know, this, is, this, this show is all about teaching authors and giving them, you know, some, some more practice in, in self-promotion. And, you know, you have to be out there promoting your own book nowadays. You know, if, even if you're with a large publishing company, they're not going to be doing too much for you. And that's why we really have to get good at our elevator speeches and our blurbs and being able to talk about our own book and what's great about our book. And, uh, yeah, if he's going to be doing interviews and talking about his book, he's definitely maybe going to want to drop that particular third-person aspect of it because it does come off as a little bit... Um, I don't know what the the adjective would would be for it, but it definitely is a little bit off-putting. I agree with you there. It, you know, it, it, it almost is like a crying crying child in the background. I mean, it's that <laughs> it's that off-putting. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good thing that you that you muted me last time because I did not realize that you could actually hear Lorenzo over the blurb. And uh, for all of you listening out there, unfortunately, SpongeBob is not doing its magic. Should we it's, listen to another blurb while I try to put it on another SpongeBob? Indeed, it's a uh, it, it's a great background soundtrack. Um, so you get a window into Sally Shields' life. So here we go. Here's another blurb uh, from Michael O'Neill. Again, this is in the fiction category, and let's listen to this one. Here we go. Blog Talk Radio. The people of Richmond, Virginia, called her Crazy Bet. Her name was Elizabeth Van Lu, and during the Civil War. Elizabeth ran a Union spy ring in the capital of the Confederacy. She pulled it off by posing as a madwoman, as Crazy Bat. My name is Michael O'Neill, and my tale, titled Crazy Bat, is based loosely on the life of Elizabeth Van Lu. The novel pays homage to the crucial but largely unknown role that women and African Americans played in the Civil War. Crazy Bat was a staunch opponent of slavery and a loyal supporter of the Union. With daring and grit, she ran an underground network of spies, and she did it right under the nose of Confederate authorities. Vital war intelligence flows into her Richmond mansion. It flows out in coded messages that are hidden in bodices or the boots of couriers. Helping her is a former slave who works undercover as a servant in Jefferson Davis's White House. Meanwhile, she's placed a clerk in the city's infamous Libby Prison, which houses Union prisoners of war under brutal conditions. Through Crazy Bet's efforts, a group of prisoners make a dramatic escape to safety, but not before one, the dashing Captain Harry Howard slips and falls to Josephine Holmes, a member of Crazy Bet's network. Plots and counterplots threaten to ignite anti-war revolution in the North. Under Crazy Bet's guiding hand, and despite her grave doubts about the wisdom of her actions, the characters whose lives she touches thwart the conspiracy, often by adopting disguises or posing as double agents. Among them is Howard's comic sidekick, a Scots doctor who's known to enjoy a wee drop of the malt. And in fact, the tale is laced with humor as characters find ways to see the lighter side, while chaos and tragedy surround them. Conspiracy comes to a head with a plot to abduct Abraham Lincoln. Howard and Josephine set out on a desperate, moonlit horseback ride through Confederate lines to save the president and to save each other. Crazy Bet has a little something for everyone. Spying, secret codes, intrigue, action, comedy, and a bit of a love story. To get a copy, 
please go online to www.crazybet.com. Crazy Bet is one word, and bet has two T's. That's www.crazybet.com. For two decades, I've worked as a writer specializing in historical topics. Crazy Bet is a natural extension of that work. I'm honored to have the chance to expose more readers to the story of this extraordinarily brave and resourceful woman. Well, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, the book, of course, called Crazy Bet. At the beginning, I thought he was saying Crazy Bat. That's uh, like exactly B-A-T. what I thought. Yeah, but it's B-E-T-T. Uh, and uh, he had me with the title and uh, with the opening. Wow. I really liked it. Yeah, the, you know, speaking about the underground network of spies and, you know, under the nose of federal authorities and coded messages and bodices or boots of couriers, I, I loved it. It really was very, very exciting and intriguing. See how and, fun and fiction, can, yeah. fiction can be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I guess my problem is that I'm such a slow reader because usually what happens to me is I read – uh, you know, maybe a couple of pages, and then I'm very tired at night usually, so I fall asleep. So it takes me like six months to read, uh, you know, a book. <laughs> Not necessarily, but I'm exaggerating. But um, so so that's some. I guess maybe my my problem has been, you know, taking too long to read a book. But wow, this could this could absolutely propel me forward. Maybe I would even um, uh, become a coffee drinker. Who knows? Well, and a fascinating thing about blurbs is. Uh, barring the fact that I actually am online while I'm speaking and I'm on Twitter and all of that stuff, uh, when you hear a blurb, you could be in an elevator, you could be listening to the radio in your car, you could be uh, on the Internet, you could be anywhere, and it's audio happening. So uh, the, the most important thing is to catch the attention of whoever you're talking to, and I thought he really did that from the beginning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really only have, when it comes to the media and, and pr- producers and television and radio people, they have just about 15 seconds of your time. So if you're going to call them up and pitch something, you better have something you know up your sleeve in that first 10 to 15 seconds that's going to catch their attention because they're going to know, yes, they want to know more or be uh, sorry. Um, so it really does have to, you have to have your elevator pitch down, you have to know, you have to tell people who you are, you have to tell people what the title of your book is, you have to say what your vision is, what exactly your book is about, and what the reader is going to get out of it. And I felt that uh, that Michael did that really, really well. I mean, obviously blurbs are a lot longer than elevator pitches, but he absolutely got in our four criteria that I felt, the, the, the bling, the clarity, the information, and he delivered it very well. So he did well on, on all of our uh, our chosen criteria for this particular blurb. Well, let's listen to one more blurb um, uh, here. And uh, we do have uh, a guest calling in at the end of the show. Oh, and, I believe uh, he's here. Yep, yeah, and I, I think we should listen to one more blurb before we talk to him. But uh, we're going to be talking to Alan E. Smith uh, in just a minute. And uh, he's a co-winner of uh, Blurb Book of the Week for last week, and uh, that'll be fun to talk to him. Uh, should we listen to uh, Beth or Stephen? What do you think? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you you choose. Well, we have, we've had two women and two men on the show. I, I guess I'll just choose alphabetically. So Beth Dunn, here we go. She's uh, our last fiction blurb of the week. Stephen, we'll get to you the next fiction show. And uh, this is the fifth blurb of the day uh, from Beth Dunn. Here we go. 
Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Beth Dunn, the author of Social Climbers, a fun novel that is also beautifully illustrated, thinking like the preppy handbook, A How-To Guide. It's like a Bergdorf Blondes meets the official preppy handbook. It's funny. It helps keep people's minds off of everything that's going on in the world with the stress and the economy. It's a great way to just put up your feet and take your mind off things. Also, it addresses mean girls after sitting on over 30 plus charity committees, I wrote this book, and you can kind of do how to be a socialite overnight. It's fun. I hope you love it. To learn more, you can go to www.socialclimbers.net or Amazon or Borders or wherever books are sold. Again, my name is Beth Dunn, and thank you. Holy cow. Now that was an elevator speech. That was, that was, that was an elevator speech. And a great one. Not a bad one. She she said what her name was. She said what the you know what the book was, what it was about. Um, not, she didn't necessarily talk too much about um, you know her vision or what's in it for the reader. Well, maybe she did. Actually, addresses Mean Girls, how to be a socialite overnight, and then she gave where where you could find her book. Actually, she did a pretty good elevator speech. But I think I think it's important. Um, we'd love to have Beth back on uh, with a full blurb because it, it sounds like a great book. I'm psyched about it. But there's no way we could choose her for blurb book of the week because it, it just she didn't give us enough time. Yeah, it was definitely not enough time. I think that that must have run a 15 seconds, 20 seconds tops. And we'd love to hear lots more. Indeed, Beth. Sounds like a fantastic book. I mean, it was exciting, beautifully illustrated, preppy handbook. Funny, keeping help you know helps keeping people's minds off the problems of the world, and it it absolutely sounds funny and fantastic. So you know, please, we'd love to have you submit a longer blurb. Tell us more about the book. Draw us in. Create some curiosity and pretend that you know you really you need to convince us to read the book. We were there. We were halfway there. And uh, since we have extra time, I think we should listen to uh, Stephen Borer's uh, blurb here quickly, and then we'll talk uh, for about ten minutes uh, with our special guest. Sounds like a good plan. Here we go. Stephen L. Border. This is the last fiction blurb of the day. Here we go. Cinch. The harm that self-absorbed and self-serving religious leaders can bring to their own people and to others has perhaps never been more evident. History records how violence and terror tactics have been used, not just by small cults, but by all mainstream religions. I write from my own affiliation and tradition, that of Roman Catholicism, but I believe the topic has universal application. The pervasiveness of the pre-sexual abuse crisis is well documented. Lawsuits filed by the abused against the Catholic leadership are daily items in the media around the world. It is a fact that bishops, upon reports of abuse from victims, transferred the abusing priests from parish to parish, diocese to diocese, and even to other countries. Bishops routinely stonewalled and, through attorneys, played hardball with victims who sought help and redress. The mystery of the sexual abuse crisis is not that priests could be pedophiles. The mystery lies with the bishops. What prompted men who are politically adept, often outgoing and personable, 
men who wear the mitres of moral leadership to act as they did? The answer is given in my novel, The Purple Culture, where three bishops are put on trial for their cover-up activities. Personal stories of victims present in the courtroom support the overwhelming evidence against the bishops. The defense attorney challenges the jury to make a choice from the only three available options. The bishops acted either out of ignorance and naivete, out of willful evil, or from mental defect. Expert testimony points to a deviant moral compass springing up from the Episcopal culture. The novel has been acclaimed by the three leading experts on the sexual abuse crisis, authors Thomas Doyle, A.W. Richard Seip, and Jason Berry, and by Peter Isley, Midwest Director of SNAP, the Victims Network. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, that was a, a very heavy blurb uh, and fascinating um, after the other uh, five that we've heard uh, today. Indeed. I mean, the language alone, he's, he's very erudite. It sounds like he's, gosh, he's... Oh. Uh, what prompted men who are politically adept to wear the mitres of moral leadership? I don't know. I was just <laughs> remembering some of the words that he used. But, wow, I mean, I was just, like, riveted listening to his language. But, I mean, half the time I didn't even know what he was talking about. But, <laughs> no, I mean, I know what he was talking about, basically. But he was. it was very, very, um, very alluring just to listen to him speak. I felt that he delivered that blurb um, in, in, a, in a very wonderful way. Uh, and, and the topic is now. Here's one thing that he has on on uh, a couple of the others. One of the topics um, is bling, and and I defined that uh, last week or the week before as something that's timely. There's nothing more timely than you know the first half of his blurb. He talked about these priests, and he walked us into it. And uh, uh, he had a very creative take on a blurb. He, he he started talking. I was thinking at the beginning, oh, no, this is a nonfiction book. What's it doing in the fiction category? And then halfway through his blurb, he said, my novel um, is, is based on um, uh, um, this. And it, he, he uh, certainly pulled me in that way. Well, yeah, I enjoyed that, too. I mean, he set the stage for exactly what the, the the issue was that was going on in the world. He connected it to, to the timely, uh, what was happening in, in the world now. And then he brought us into, you know, purple culture. I think that's what the name of the book was. I wasn't sure. That's something else that he maybe could have done a better job of is really make us, make make known what the title of his book was. Right. And, even and then, at, even yeah. at the beginning, say, um, uh, almost do also what we've talked about before is, uh, uh, say, at the very beginning, um my book is the purple culture uh you know my name is stephen borer and then give your elevator speech as a lead-in and then go ahead and work through the whole thing and make it make sense 
and also one other thing at the at the end it just seemed like a little bit abrupt there was there was no uh sort of lead out he didn't tell us where people could get the book he didn't reiterate right. the title of his book he didn't mention any kind of a website for people that were interested in learning more about um Indeed. deviant moral compass of <laughs> of everything happening with the uh roman catholicism and the uh pre-sexual abuse that has been well documented absolutely um, so yeah we would we would have really liked to have known if there was a blog if there was something more that we could learn about the book where we could find the book reiterate the title of the book so that we can find it absolutely uh and so all of these blurbs that we're listening to have incredible positive uh characteristics to them and of course part of this show is just listening to so, some great blurbs about great books and um uh, we certainly check them all out and our listeners check them all out so that's the fun part and then we like to criticize them and 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 say what what could be better about the marketing Indeed, and now I think we we would love to speak with uh, our last one, our, our second winner from last week. Absolutely. Uh, well, our co-winner. Uh, he he might be the first or the second winner, but we won't reveal that. <laughs> they they both um, they both uh, won. Uh, we earlier in the show we talked to Kelly Ruba, and now we are talking to Alan E. Smith, and he should be on the line with us. Good evening, Dr. Kent and Sally. Hi. Thank you so much for being here, Alan. I appreciate the opportunity to be on Blurb. I we, I just absolutely loved your Blurb last week and can't wait to hear more about it. Um, tell us about, my goodness, how you came up, how how you were able to come up with such a manual, such an important book. Sally, as as I probably have said before, I really wrote the book that I wanted to have available a couple of years ago when I was up at the Mayo Clinic. And after days of testing, they said, well, we've got good news and bad news. Good news is it's not going to kill you, but the bad news is you're not going to like it, and there's really nothing we can do about it. And when you oh sit gosh. there with that diagnosis saying, okay, I've run out of options in mainstream medicine. Now where do you go? And I really didn't find a good book out there that could give you kind of a starting place of what's available, what choices do you have? Well, the remarkable thing is is that you didn't, you know, you didn't get dejected. You didn't think, oh, it's all over. I think I'll just wait to die. You actually thought, okay, well, that's his opinion, and now I'm going to go out and find other other solutions. turns out many people discover the world of complementary and alternative medicine because they're stubborn like I am, and once they're given no other choice, they say, well, I'm not going to accept that, you know, dead end. I'm going to find another option, and they start looking around, and they find literally hundreds of great therapies out there. Is it also because the doctors simply don't know or they, they just haven't bothered to keep up with it or they, they simply don't believe in alternative medicine or they're just so stuck in traditional uh, medicine that they haven't you know, opened their minds or hearts to, to, to believe that there are other solutions? I mean, this must be very frustrating. That many, is an understatement. Oh, it really is because the drug companies start buying their affections in medical school. I mean, the first day they get, show up, they start getting pens and cups and everything else. And doctors don't have to take a single course in complementary and alternative medicine in order to get a medical degree. So most of them don't bother. They simply ignore it. They're told that it doesn't work, even though some of these systems are thousands of years old. So when customers come in and say, you know, do you have, you know, can we try this? Can we try that? They poo-poo it and say, well, you know, you wouldn't want to go back to the dark ages like that. So Even what made these... it different? What made your reaction different? Like, what made you immediately say, well, I'm just not going to accept that? 
stubbornness more than anything else, Sally. Uh, just a condition of, uh, you know, when, when you feel that bad, you just aren't going to continue to feel that bad. You're going to find some answer, some way around it. Now, what and exactly did you have? What specifically did, did you have? My personal case was digestive problems. I was about an inch from living on baby food at that point. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, like a lot of people with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, I mean, there's so many chronic problems that the doctors say, well, you're just going to have to learn to live with it. Uh, there's nothing more we can do. And as you said, a lot of people just give up, and they shouldn't. There are just so, so many choices out there. Were you in pain? I mean, obviously, it's, it's got to be painful, and obviously you couldn't eat anything, and nothing was staying down. What did you, did you think to yourself, well, gosh, you know, maybe I'll see a Chinese herbalist, or where did you look first? Strangely enough, it, one of the points that I try to make uh, in my book is that there is a wonderful process, and it's got a lot of different names. Some people call it divine guidance. Some people call it inner healer. Some people call it synchronicity. Whatever you want to label it, there is an amazing ability, if you're listening and looking for it, to find what you need at that point in your life. And less than two weeks after I came home from the Mayo Clinic, I ran across an article about a book from Bruce Lipton called Biology of Belief, which is a wonderful book, and I highly recommend it. And it was about how your thoughts and feelings literally control the cells in your body, which modern science and epigenetics continues to prove. But you get through all the way through the book, and it's like, Bruce, that's great, but you don't tell me how to do it. And he's got one little paragraph where he says, well, there's this guy in Colorado by the name of Rob Williams with a process called Psych-K. Well, that was all I needed. I tracked down Rob Williams, called him, got involved with Psych-K, started finding some answers. Health got better, which convinced me that there's a lot of stuff out there I needed to learn and just keep following the path. And the better my health bet got, the more excited I was about it. That's exactly what they're talking about in The Secret. That's what you know, Bob Proctor and all of those people in The Secret are talking about, that you can actually, you know, your body regenerates. Your body, every seven years, you're a new person because your cells are controlled by your thoughts. It's well, it's actually, um, yeah, it's going to be on that. There's a new science called epigenetics, which I don't know if you've heard of. It actually is documenting how the energy of your own thoughts and feelings controls the functioning of your genes. And it doesn't just turn the genes on and off. It turns bits and pieces of the genes on and off. So we get amazing uh, healing abilities, but we're just at the very beginning of this whole uh, new field of science, so we really haven't figured out how to use it yet. We just are beginning to understand, yes, there is something to this mind-body medicine after all. So speaking of, of genes turning on and off, um, I was I was in my head picturing a enormous pair of blue jeans uh, with lights turning off uh, section after section maybe up in Times Square somewhere. But the, the book is called Unbreak Your Health, The Complete Guide to Complementary and Alternative Therapies. Uh, tell us where to find out more about you. Well, the website's the easiest place, www.unbreakyourhealth.com. It's got a whole bunch of stuff about the book and about me and reviews uh, from all over the country and things like that. And there's even some podcasts. Uh, my publisher talked me into... Even though I don't own an iPod, he convinced me that people were into this electronic high-tech stuff. So I started doing some uh, kind of really putting the book on audio and interviewing people about each therapy in little 20-minute downloads. So it was another way to get people exposed to these therapies so that they can find some hope for themselves. Well, I am totally revved up about this book. I mean, I've been a, a fan of um, of um, <laughs> of alternative medicine for years, and I'm just absolutely fascinated 
Facebook, and I'm so excited. I wish I could talk to you all night long. I thank you for the time. I think we could all talk to you all night long, and Sally and I are getting our cue to, to close the show up. Um, but it's been such an honor to speak with Alan E. Smith. Sally? Oh, my goodness. Thank you for being here, and uh, I'm I'm going to be reading your book for sure. Uh, this is just exciting, exciting stuff, and it's going to give hope to so many people. And, gosh, maybe we can even pair you up with Kelly Ruba. Who knows? Who knows? Thank you much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And uh, it, this has been uh, Blurb Radio, and you can find us on the web at uh, blurbradio.com. And, of course, uh, if you're still listening to us, uh, you uh, you are a great listener because we just went off the air, and this is uh, the podcast version of the show, and uh, we're very excited to have your listening. Uh, Sally, what are you up to this week? Oh, my gosh. I, well, it's my daughter's birthday tomorrow. She's turning seven and uh, putting a little party on for her on Sunday. And <laughs> That's a it's third awesome. of the way to 21. <laughs> I'm sorry? That's a third of the way to 21. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about it. I never thought of it like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, have a great week, and I uh, can't wait to come back next week uh, with our new uh, Blur Book of the Week winner. Uh, I'm not sure. We had we heard some good ones today. Oh, man, that was an absolutely exciting uh, week, and that was really, really exciting to hear these fantastic fiction books, and certainly has changed my mind, and um, I'm really looking forward to checking out a couple of them, and it was just a pleasure to have have these blurbs on this week. Cool. We'll pick up pick up a good fiction book this week, and uh, I'll talk to you next week, Sally. Have a great week, Dr. Kent.